Hi everybody, how you doing? It's Sunday, January 23rd. Happy birthday, Aiden. Today is my grandson's birthday. I'm Gloria Moraga, this is One on One. And hello, my friends, how are you? I have had a technically challenging beginning to 2022. That's where I've been. But I have survived the gremlins on my computer and on my website, and I'm back, and I'm not going away. And what an episode I have for you. Before we get to that, please subscribe and please share my podcast with all of your friends. Please, I need your support. This episode is a story about a courageous woman. She is one of my heroes. Her name is Paula Padine. She is a Navy veteran, a mom, a wife, and an award-winning public relations expert. Talk about one-on-one. She's it. Paula is also a whistleblower. She helped blow the lid off the Veterans Administration hospital scandal. Now, this is a scandal that began around the year 2014. Veterans were dying because VA administration hospital officials were delaying care and lying about it. Now, we know this happened because of a couple of whistleblowers. Yep, whistleblowers. These were workers at the Veterans Administration Hospital that would not stop until the public and lawmakers knew what was going on. Behind the scenes, one of those whistleblowers was being bullied horribly by administrators. My guest is Paula Padine. Yep, she's that whistleblower that was bullied. She is the VA public relations professional working at the Phoenix, Arizona Veterans Administration Hospital during the scandal. Scandal, as I said, resulted in the deaths of veterans. Paul is an old friend, a dear friend. I worked with her in Washington, D.C. And in addition to all of her other titles, Paula has now written a book about her bullying and about that scandal. So she is now author Paula Padine. We begin the podcast talking about her book. It affected me because, A, I know you, but it affected me because of the brutality of it. We'll start at the beginning. Tell me a little about yourself and how you got to the VA hospital in, in Arizona. Uh, my name is Paula Padine. <laughs> And I know you, Gloria, from many years ago as a reporter on the Hill. And we had so much fun when we worked at Cox Broadcasting. I was looking uh, to stay in broadcasting, but um, it didn't work out for me. So a new path opened up for um, a full-time public affairs officer after I moved to Buffalo, New York. Bill and I, Bill got orders. He was in the Navy, so he got orders to Buffalo. So we shuffled off to Buffalo. I got a job as a public affairs officer in Buffalo, New York. And our goal at that point in time was to kind of get back West because West is where our family is. So I did a good job in Buffalo. Then I went to Denver, Colorado with the VA. All of this was with the VA. And then um, there was an opening in Phoenix to be um, the full-time public affairs officer. It was close to home. So I applied for the job and got it. And I was there from 1994 to uh, 2014. So it was uh, a wonderful experience for me for the most part. 
Um, during that time, we had uh, an award-winning public relations program. I studied, I worked hard at being a good public affairs officer. I took courses, I joined associations, the Public Relations Society of America. And, and at the same time, we had a fabulous boss who really empowered his people and kind of let us run with things. So we were at the time a top performing hospital for about 12 to 15 years of that 20 years. And then new leadership came and the rest is kind of the saga. <laughs> I can't believe how long you were there. You were there from what years to what years? From 1994 to 2014. Wow. That is a long time. It was. And you were very successful. We earned several national awards. As a matter of fact, our public relations program was the most highly um, awarded program in all of VA. I had students who were getting their master's degrees that would often reach out to me and want to do a case study for their thesis thesis on how you can do public affairs in government and do a good job. And um, so I've had several of those papers written. Um, but, you know, more than anything, to me, what was wonderful about it was how we built the camaraderie with not only our, our patients, but between our patients and our staff and our volunteers and, and the community at large. And that's really the important role that public relations plays. And you have to do multiple things to work on that. And you have to use the scientific data of public opinion research and measurement to figure out if you're making a difference and what's working and what isn't. So we really did have a very effective program. So it kind of kept me um, busy and happy at the same time. It was, it was very fulfilling. So you think that when you're so successful, if you're winning awards and what everything you're doing is right, you're reaching out to the community. Is this when the parade, the Veterans Day parade, when did that begin? That started in 1997. Um, it was kind of a fluke. We, um, the Black Employee Committee had started like a march from Park Central Mall over to the VA. And at the time in 1993, health fairs were really um, on the rise. So we said, okay, we'll support the, the, the walk or the march from Park Central Mall over to the VA. They called it a parade. And um, we'll have a health fair at the end of it so everybody can come and get their blood pressure checked and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. So it, it worked out from the, the health fair point of view, but the parade point of view was a disaster. There was only 10 people on the streets. Nobody heard about it. And the people in the, the, the small parade, because it was maybe a quarter of a mile, were happy but it, they were disappointed that there wasn't a turnout. So I go into my boss's office uh, the, that week because we used to meet weekly. And at the very end of our meeting, I, I always ask him, I said, and is there anything else on your agenda that you'd like me to concentrate on? And he, he looks at me square in the eyes and he says, yes, that parade has got to be better next year. And I could tell it was just a yes, sir, kind of moment. So I went off and I, 
I figured out how to put on a parade. That's exactly what I did. And um, the very next year, we had 10,000 people on the streets. Uh, The parade actually went two miles long. It was down uh, Central Avenue, and it was beautiful. And it's been in existence since then. So 1997 was our first parade. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary this year. Congratulations. Thank you. But we're getting now into the nasty, dark part of your story. (laughs) And I asked about the parade because I knew that you were instrumental in building up that event and how important these kinds of events are for people in general, but veterans especially. What happened when the new bosses came in to you? Because here's the mindset that I have, Paula. You're successful. How are they going to mess with you? You know, every smart manager knows when something's working, you don't broke what doesn't need to be fixed. You were great. You didn't need any any hands meddling in your office. What happened? Well, I I think you kind of coined the phrase smart manager, smart leader. (laughs) They're just not there. I mean, you have people that have their own agendas and they see people like me who are successful that um, instead of being a highlight of their work, they tend to consider it as a threat. And I think my other issue was when the new leadership came in, I had, so between my first boss and and the Sharon Hellman and Lance Robinson scenario, which is really where the tragedy occurred, um, I had two interim bosses in, in, in between. The one of the interim bosses was just full of himself. He was actually creating a hostile work environment. He was he was doing things like in the in the government, they say it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. And that's what it is. You layer the bureaucracy, you make things difficult, you, um, you know, step on people. And that's what he was doing. But he was doing it to the point where he wanted a new MRI machine. And in order to get his new MRI machine, he was choking off care for the patients that needed it today. So he could create like another false uh, need for this second MRI machine, rather than just using the available data. So when he did that, it was like doctors came to me and said, we got to get rid of this guy. So I helped them do that. And we did it quietly. We were able to remove him quietly. He he retired. um, The network director took care of it. But then when the new team came in, it was like they knew that we had done that. So everybody that was on that list of helping to remove that error, that was it was a management selection that was an error. They kind of came after all of us one by one. And um, they came after me uh, the most because I was in a position of clout. And um, you were in, you were in a visible position. You were well known in the community. People loved you because of the parade, but also because you're professional and you do your job. So of course you're a danger to them. 
Right. When when you have an insecure leader, that is a, a threat. When you have people who are unethical and don't want to do the most right thing, having a truth teller amongst them is a threat. When you have somebody that's that's popular uh, through their work, you know, that, that really is making a difference in the community, that's a threat. So they were just threatened by me at every step of the way. And no matter what I did to um, smooth over things or make things better. I mean, one of the things with my first whistleblower experience, they were supposed to uh, rectify what the prior uh, leader had done because he he was similar in the ways that he was taking away my funding, he was taking away my staffing and and trying to make me miserable so I would quit. That's what they try to do because in the government, it's hard to fire somebody that's a stellar performer. Um, you have to look at disciplinary avenues. So like if you're like, um, you know, d- doing something wrong, mismanaging funds or something, that's easier to remove people on, but not on performance. You know, they saw that we were successful in removing him and they didn't want the truth tellers in there. They wanted to create their own program. They were threatened by me. They didn't, you know, no matter how hard I tried, it just... Um, it didn't work. It just didn't work. And I put up with um, a a crummy situation underneath their leadership for about 10 months. And then I put up with brutality from them uh, when they took me out of my job for two months. Tell me how it started, the bullying, because I know that they called you in. They were going to do a temporary or short investigation. 30-day investigation that turned into almost two years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I really want to hear what they did to you because this is important for whistleblowers. I don't think people understand the inside story of what whistleblowers go through when they are bullied or when they are threatened. Uh, by the people that you, that are supposed to be solving a problem. So you you get called in and what? They're telling you they're going to do an investigation or some such? Yeah. So um, they called me into um, Lance's office and um, I knew I was in trouble when I walked in. And first of all, he saw me on time because usually he would make me wait. You know, they would just like to make you angry or ruffle your feathers by making you wait outside 15, 20 minutes. You know, I went in on time, which was unusual. And then the HR director was sitting there. So I knew it wasn't going to be good. And I had an inkling that it wasn't going to be good the week before by something that Lance had said. They sat me down and, and they said, um, they asked me a couple of questions. Did you log your husband onto the computer? And I said, yes, I did, because I admitted to it that that was actually a policy violation. I probably shouldn't have done it. But in a hospital setting, it wasn't privacy. It wasn't patient information. I had Bill working on a PowerPoint that was going to be presented to 200 people at the parade award ceremony. So it was public um, information, public documents. So, so just really, time. really briefly, two two things I want to point out. One, A, your husband, you were both veterans. Thank Correct. you for your service. Your husband 
is uh, a veteran and a volunteer at the a hospital. Registered volunteer. I'm registered volunteer. He's a registered volunteer. So him, you logging in to have him work on a computer in a public place, right? right. It was a public place. <laughs> is not uh, right. or not ordinary. I mean, it, this is something that happens with volunteers and he's a veteran and on and on. Right. And he, you know, he had been supporting the parade for years. So it wasn't like it was anything new and something that didn't have past precedence. But and I they- do, I do want to mention, Paula, that you are here. You are legally blind. Yes. You have retinitis pigmentosa. Yes. Correct. So yeah. to explain that just briefly. I don't want, I'm sorry to get off the point of the story. No, no, no. no that's a good point. And that's why I did ask Bill to put the pictures in the PowerPoint. It was easier for him than for me. Um, so I have uh, the retinitis pigmentosa, which causes tunnel vision. So what I see is right in front of me. I have no a depth perception or um, field, you know, an extended field of view. So if it's right in front of me, I can see it. So I'm pretty good with words and some of the social media things that you can, you know, work on, but PowerPoints and graphic design and newsletters, I always needed help with that. I just did. So um, that's why I had Bill doing that function. So I'll just, uh, I'll just also interject here. Sorry to interrupt. You know, you are protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yes. Yes. Were you there when it was signed? I was there. <laughs> no. I wish I was. I, I wasn't I... sure if, if you were in, if we were together in Washington at that time. <laughs> no. But you know what happens, Gloria, is because we do so well, despite our disabilities, people forget or they um, they minimize it, you know? So, but this, it was just another avenue for Lance to um, come after me. It really was. So, um, you know, he didn't like the fact that um, I needed support. Like with, I, I would have a driver at the VA that would pick patients up and do things. And they had two of those drivers. And if they had downtime, I would schedule appointments to meet with the mayor and do that kind of stuff. And and they would work things around and take me there. And that was an accommodation that the VA had provided me for years. And then Lance gets there and he takes that away, you know, and then they don't want to reimburse me for caps. And then they don't want to, you know, take me places with them in the government vehicles. It's just, it's those kinds of things. Like I said, it's a death through a thousand paper cuts, but I'm in his office. He tells me, um, he asked me the point blank question. I honor and I answer honestly. I tell him, yes, I did. I knew it was not the, the best thing to do in accordance with VA rules and regulations, but I did it because I was in a bind. You know, I was expecting like a, a letter of counseling or um, an admonishment or a reprimand. There's three levels of discipline that you can start with to get somebody on, you know, something that they did wrong. And the the goal is to have corrective action. Well, he jumps from um, a minor infraction, which should have warranted one of those three levels, (laughs) to all the way over here, which is taking me out of my job, taking away my office, taking away my BlackBerry. He took away my key, my BlackBerry right there in that office. 
Um, he told me to go gather my personal things and the HR officer would escort me off the property like I was a criminal. And he told me that um, they were going to conduct a 30-day investigation and I was not authorized to talk to anyone about what they were doing and why. That's, that's kind of how it started. But you'd already been bullied by right. having things taken uh, away from you, right. like yeah. not having a ride. I mean, right. <laughs> right. I mean, like, and then you know what he did too. I have you're to just going to stand out on the you know, on the lawn and go, oh, you know, I need a ride. <laughs> See if I, I, I just, I, I just these people. It's just, it's insane. And the other thing he did, and I have to share this with you because you, you, you'd appreciate it. You know, I'm I'm working at VA, so this is in 2012. So by this time, it's what you know, almost 15 years in in the federal government, and um, they've accommodated my disability. He runs me through another disability audit yeah. to make sure that I have quote unquote everything I need to handle my disability, and I think. You know, the um, when the gal came, the safety officer came to inspect, you know, my office and my operations and everything. She looks at me and she goes, this is such a waste of time. <laughs> and I know. <laughs> but, you know, we had to go through it because he was like, I think he was hoping that she would say, no, she can't do this. We have to move her to an admin job or, you know put her in the basement. He wanted his, his own legal way to put me in the basement instead of the illegal way. But that's how it started. And 30 days turned into 60 days, turned into 90 days. And, you know, the rumor mill is circling and I'm hearing um, they're coming after you criminally, Paula. They're coming after you criminally. And um, my representative said, they're coming after you criminally. He goes, you need to hire a criminal attorney. And I don't know if you know how expensive criminal attorneys are. I just know you you lose your house. You lose, yeah. I know that when, you know, uh, honestly, in this country, there's justice for the rich and there's justice yeah. for the poor. If you don't have a house to hawk, you're yeah. in trouble. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, this was not an easy um, time for me, what the way they did everything, they, you know, they took away my voice, they took away my job, they, they humiliated me every day. It was just everything they could do to make me miserable. We're going to throw investigation after investigation after investigation after her. We're going to go back in her fund control point and, and look back 10 years to see if she's got any misappropriation of funds. Now, these are all expenditures that have been certified, approved, reviewed, and justified, you know, from prior, prior fiscal officers, prior directors, prior, nothing's wrong. They've done audits, you know, before just random audits and I'm in the clear. So, and let me say, while they're doing this to you, while they're spending this time, they're not doing their job. All this money is being spent to investigate, you know, excuse me, perfect Paula, you know, perfect perky Paula. There's no, you know, that was one of Paul's, 
nicknames because she's very perky. And and damn it, they took the perky out of Paula. Why, you know, and I know how you a little bit of how you felt. There's a dread in your heart. Yeah. You wake up, they've replaced your joy with this dark little piece of dread that's in your heart and it's a dark place and you're scared and all of the things that you worked for all your life so that you wouldn't have to go through something like this starts happening to you. Right. And and that's the hardest part, Gloria, is that um, until you, and it's really like ripping the rug out from under you. It's so sudden that you don't even have a chance to get your footing. You, you don't really have a chance. And that's what they want. They, they want you on the ground and they have a, you know, a sword over you. That's really how it was. I mean, um, I, I didn't do well. Um, you know, initially I was scared to death. I couldn't believe that anybody would come after me, me criminally. And then, um, and then they had so many other trumped up charges that they were looking at against me, privacy violations, you know, financial mismanagement. So let's go back. The reason that they were doing this was because there was a man who worked at the hospital who was delaying care for veterans so that he could get a new MRI or a second MRI machine. And doctors were not happy about this because patient care was being affected for veterans. And the doctors, and you worked with a number of just great doctors and, and another whistleblower, Dr. Foote, correct? That's so how that's how your problems began. That's how it started by doing the most right thing, by taking care of patients, making sure that they weren't lying and cheating and, and exposing that and, and moving them out of the system and trying to rebuild. That's how my trouble began. And so your troubles continued Yes, as you're being punished, which is like you're down. Like you say, the rug's been pulled out from under you and you're in, but I mean, you're not down, Paula, but you're in free fall, right? Because I would never say you're down. No one's ever going to get you down. Yeah. It hurts my heart to think. The meantime, while they're doing all of this to you, what's going on with patient freaking care so see see here's what gets me why don't they fix the problems and use you to help them with pr and fix the problems instead they do the exact opposite Opposite. yeah what the hell (laughs) we'll take a short little break show us the book the book it's all in the book it's called A Sacred Duty by Paula Padine and Doug Williams. Yeah. Paula wrote this book and it's all chronicled in this book. Yeah. We'll talk about the book again, but instead, but so this is all in there and very well written and very just, wow. Talk about going through hell and then documenting it all. I mean, you were you taking notes every day when you came home or where you had a journal or what? I mean, anyway, it's all in the book. So everyone's got to buy the book. <laughs> it but- is in the book. And I, I think it's important, Gloria, to talk about um, when things like that happen, 
even though if you're a positive person and you don't have uh, mental health challenges, they you can become challenged by mental health issues. I suffered from depression um, when this occurred because, you know, I just couldn't believe it. It was hard for me to believe that all that work for all those years was just being thrown out the window and they could care less. And then these people really wanted to decimate me. They wanted to take away my career. They wanted me, they send people to me and say, you need to be looking for another job. They would tell their, their little people that would do, you know, tell her she needs to be looking for another job. Their minions. Yeah. We'll support they any want. interview. Right. Yeah, they we'll want you to go, they want you to go away. You know, it's that, that movie erase. They want yeah. to erase you. Right. They do. They do. And, and the thing is, you know, you have to look at it and say, Oh, you know, it's at, early on, I thought, okay, yeah, I need to find another job because this isn't working out. And I, I was looking, but my representative kept telling me, Paula, you know, if you walk away from this, they're going to come after somebody else that isn't as strong. And, and they're going to keep doing this because they won. And he goes, you have to decide if you're strong enough to stand against them. He goes, you know, and I was in a situation where I was about a year and a half out from my full retirement from VA. You know, he said, you can do anything for a year and a half, but I want you to fight them and I want you to win because I know you have a good case and I know you're going to win. And it was his guidance, Roger French. He was just an angel um, that helped me. I, I will tell you in situations like this, if you're a person of faith, God surrounds you. So, you know, I, I believe I had to go through this journey because there was a greater purpose for me, one that I never saw until nearly the end of my trial, the end of my case being settled. When I was banished to the basement and while I was in there, I hear from the patients that they're having weights and delays in care. I, I'm van pooling with one of the, the women that's controlling the paper list because the VA unethically had two lists. They had the electronic list that made it look like they were good in the system. And then they had an off the books paper list. Everybody should know now about the VA wait list scandal. So Paula is instrumental in being one of the whistleblowers for that scandal. They were doing this because they wanted to get credit for having short wait times. So yeah. it started with a big fat freaking lie, federal government or whomever, that, wow, our veterans aren't having to wait very long for care. And so <laughs> we're great. Give us an award or give us a bonus. They were getting money. This was the hard part. A veteran would call in for care or they'd stop by one of the offices and ask for an appointment. And if it was a patient they knew they could get through in that certain amount of time, at the end, they would hit the submit button. If they knew it was a new patient or a patient that had complexities that they couldn't get in at the time, they would in, and go through the process of entering the order. And instead of hitting submit at the end, they would hit print and they would print the piece of paper. It would spool to the printer. And that's where the staff would have to go and get the paper list. 
and pick them up. So there was no record of you in the system because instead of hitting submit, they hit print and you hit print and then they don't save it. So the record is just gone. That's- so there were two records. There was one, an official record that you hit submit, it's in the computer. And then there was a separate list that would be printed and what? Somebody would put it in a drawer. And it so the patient sick. comes in and you're sick. You yeah. need, you have cancer. You need to have a, a test, you know, anything, whatever. And yeah. you would just be on a list someplace. Just You'd be an, on an off the books list until you made enough of a stink or you died. You know, a lot of those patients unfortunately died. Um, you know, it, it, that's, that's a tragedy of it all. I mean, you know, and it was all for bonuses. You're right. They had um, a system where they were being recognized that they could get a patient within in 14 days or 30 days, you know, or 45 days for specialty care. So they had this, you know, and the, and the efforts of the timeframes were honorable in nature, but were manipulated by staff due to a lack of moral and ethics. Um, and they, they figured out ways to game the system. And how anybody would, you know, do that to our nation's veterans is beyond belief. It's just beyond belief. And that's what bothered me the most. It was like, you know, when, when Pauline heard, um, you know, Sally Breen, uh, you know, just crying over the phone. And we went to lunch that day. She goes, I have to get out of here. Would you go to lunch with me? And I said, absolutely. We're in the van crying together. We, we just can't believe that they've done that. And that's when we said, we've got to stop what we're doing now and go to Congress. Because we were writing anonymous letters. It was a couple of us that were writing anonymous letters. And I was begging Dr. Foote to come back and help us. And um, at the time, he was being picked on. So because remember, all those people that they knew had blown the whistle on the prior administrator that was removed quietly, they had a list of those people and they were picking on all those people. They just seemed to be very forceful against me, very strong against Dr. Foote. And um, this was August when we got the call from Sally. And I, I think at that point in time, Sam had said, um, you know, he's writing a third letter to the OIG. He wrote two letters prior to the Office of the Inspector General. And his third letter went and they came out in October or November. And he said, Paula, I can just tell they're not going to do anything. And I'm going to have to um, retire in order to blow this whole thing wide open. And, and that's what he did. And I said, I will help you. And, and that's when I use my PR skills. I put him in touch with somebody that could help train him for media relations Because Sam, you know, he's a doctor. He wasn't, he would do some interviews for me, but he wasn't used to being on air all the time. And that's what you would have to do in this situation. So I put him in touch with Rick Romley, our Maricopa County attorney. And he, you know, he had, with all his cases, had been in the national news and tough issues 
all the time and did a great job. I put them in touch with Dennis Wagner at the Arizona Republic. They had an editorial board. They got all the information. I put them in touch with a few other media members. I put them in touch with Congressman Jeff Miller's uh, staff. He was um, oversight and investigations at House Veterans Affairs. So see, all of my public affairs contacts kind of needed to be on hold for this one moment. Yeah. And this this moment occurred about um, like, like 14 months into my 30-day investigation. See? So it was it was like God has you where he needs you to be, and you have to listen as miserable as you are. I will tell you from a mental health point of view, you have to get counseling. Uh, it's important to take medicine. Uh, it's important to have friends that you can talk to. I couldn't talk about my case. Uh, numerous people would just send me notes and cards and and I'd pick up the phone. I know I picked up the phone and talked to you one night late and you just listened to me for at least an hour. And I, you need true friends to help you through times like Yeah, this. you do. You do you need know? friends. You know, I remember when you called, you know, we talked a couple of times and I was sitting out in the backyard and I just thought what you're going through is a thousand times worse than what I went through, what I was going through with my bully, because you, wow. I mean, you, there were people dying. There were serious issues here. What broke it? Was it that staff? Was it the paper? And was it the staff member from Congress? How did this all blow up? Yeah. So what I want to talk about here in answering this question is the ethics of journalism. And I think because of the rhetoric that's been going on the past few years about the media, that we have really hurt what is supposed to be a fair and independent press that helps provide oversight over things like government agencies, members of Congress, you know, members of the executive staff, members of the court, you know, and, and, and what we had was we went to the reporters, but they had one side of the information. So they only had one source. What they needed was a second source before they could run with such a huge story. So it was, I believe it was in April of 2014, that Congressman Jeff Miller, he'd been angry since, you know, December when Sam had talked to him, January, February, March, waiting for VA to come clean, waiting for them to say something. And finally, he, he put one of the um, undersecretaries for help on the line during a hearing in front of everybody. And he said, um, Mr. Secretary, if I told you that 40 patients may have died while waiting for care at the Phoenix VA, would you say that was a part of any of your look back? And uh, Dr. Lynch looked him square in the eyes and said, no, Mr. Chairman, I would not. And that's when the second source came to light. CNN was watching that hearing. The Arizona Republic was watching that hearing. We were all watching that hearing because we knew it was on waits and delays at VA hospitals across the country. And, and that's when everything broke. I mean, you saw the, the lights on the, <laughs> the cameras going off and, um, you know, the reporters were 
furiously filing their stories because they wanted to be first, um, you know, because they had their second source. But there was a lot of prep and work to give them the one source. And there was a lot of prep and work to give them the second source. And I will tell you that the media did everything right. They, they got their first source, they vetted it, they verified it, they got stories, you know, they got their second source, and they ran with it. They were all ready. So the media does play a significant role in our society. And I hope that people remember that when, you know, we look to at some of the rhetoric that's going on around us. If you don't like the way that one company is reporting something, fine. You know, you have the right to choose. This is in your purview. Okay. So maybe one day you watch uh, channel A, maybe the next day you watch channel B, maybe the next day you watch channel C. So then you as an educated person are getting information from all sides and making your own decision because the media isn't there to help us make decisions. They're there to help us get the information. Okay, and and with that information, things happen. Unfortunately for VA, um, you know, that information was a critical part of of their their downfall because it was true. And and, you know, we had tried talking to the secretary and uh and it fell on deaf ears. Not that the secretary didn't want to listen to it. I think he did. It's just that those around him were, were not sharing the information with him. Uh, we have members of Congress that didn't listen to us until after Congressman Miller broke it wide open from the state of Arizona. And that was disappointing. But then once it all happened, they were all on the bandwagon. I just think it's critical to understand the vital role the media plays, whether print, radio, television, social media, needs to be accurate. Yes, try to both show both sides. If they're not showing both sides, you, the person, can find both sides. Just take the time to do it. Yeah. I think I said once sarcastically, as is my way, You're Google funny. it. Google it. There's different points of view there. Read. Read. You know, yeah. you everyone needs to read. Don't just take one person's point of view that's got money at stake. You know, it all comes back to, you know, my mom used to say the root of all evil money, Money. you know, and you look at some of the things that are going on now and some of the, with the, with the media and lies and all of that, all of that nightmare is um, money, money. It's it's big money to, to lie and get a bunch of people to believe you. Oh yeah, you, and and you need to read and get both sides. You have, even to. though it's it's unpleasant. It is, and it's important to have respectful disagreement. Yes, because by by listening to somebody in a in a calm way, and that, that's always the hard part, especially around our family table. The voices tend to rise with my my family, not so much my immediate family, but my my brothers and sisters. The voices tend to rise, but you know what? What it does is it expands your thinking. Yeah, it does. does. Yeah, it does. I mean, so what what harm is there in that? Okay, at the end of the day, you still disagree. That is fine. Right. But you at least heard that other person's viewpoint and try not to, um, you know, trigger it and try not to, um, 
you know, ping on them for it. It's, yeah. it's respectful disagreement, which is what we need to get back to. Yes, we do. We need it desperately. So the lid blew off. Right. <laughs> a scandal. People yeah. were dying. Veterans were dying. Then what happened? Paula, meantime, personally, you're going through hell. Right. <laughs> you had to hire attorneys and you've had to hire, hire attorneys. You don't have a, you know, your job, you're still yeah. in the basement. Right. They took the parade away from you. That was like the why I asked about the parade. Right. Yeah. Destroyed you in every possible way, but they didn't. What happened to the, all the bad people? Yeah. They eventually all got fired, which is the good news. VA is still in, in a free fall kind of situation, which is sad for me to see. You know, once once Congressman Miller, you know, verified the information and the stories came, it was day after day after day of them beating, getting beat up. Uh, Secretary Shinseki, they had numerous calls for his resignation because patients had died. And even, you know, it, it's you're the man in charge. You know, the president, Obama, did not want him to resign, but he accepted his resignation um, because he saw there was just no way coming out of it. But the great thing that Secretary Shinseki did was he placed Sharon Hellman, Lance Robinson and Brad Curry on administrative leave before he got fired. He also or before he resigned. He also um, made sure the undersecretary for health resigned. And he was one of the ones that was kind of he knew what was going on because we had reached out to him early on and he was kind of covering up the, the information. So those Uh, three people that you just mentioned, those were your three bullies, the three horrible people. What, what did they get charged with any crimes or did they just wiggle off the hook of, you know, the worm wiggling off the hook? This is where sometimes you get sad about justice not really taking place. We gave the FBI all kinds of information and um, they had evidence that we thought was very incriminating. You know, and there was another scandal that they were doing with fake vesting where they put a patient in, they get the money on the patient, they wouldn't see the patient, but one time, and they collect that money all year. That's not how you're supposed to work it. So (laughs) I know we, you know, so that you have what you have is a people with the lack of morals and ethics at the leadership home. And they're they're almost like serial killers or something. It's like they're doing all this stuff, but until somebody stands up to stop them, you know, it's kind of, what the hey? So, um, you know, the stories kept hitting. The actions had to occur because it didn't die down in the press. Thank God. It was month after month of being pummeled. Um, You know, the congressional members came in, they created new legislation um, that's still in place today. They refined the legislation in in 2018 called the Mission Act, placed in 2019. So that was helpful. I was one of the team leads on that. I I got my settlement after all the media, but before the firings, you know, I got settlement and I accepted a new position because they they told me the Office of Special Counsel, who is wonderful, said, Polly, you just can't go back there. The there's too much divisiveness among the staff and you. 
and they don't know all the details because not everybody saw all the details to my case. So, um, cause you can't, it's not something that you're sharing. That's a character assassination. Yeah. That's how they, what, one of the things that they do. Yeah. They make yeah. you look like the bad guy. They yeah. make you look yeah. worthless. Like, yeah. why is she even here? Yeah. You know? And it was so weird because some people would just not talk to me. I mean, people to this day that I knew for 20, 30 years just won't talk to me because I'm a whistleblower, you know, or because they they still have this image of me causing all this problem. Oh, it's so funny, Gloria. It's almost as if they have a playbook. Like they, the leadership that wants to pick on people like us, they have a playbook somewhere. And I would love to get a copy of that playbook so I could highlight it to everybody so they know what they were going to do. They're plotting against you while you're doing all this work that makes them look great. Right. Uh, yeah. It's it doesn't make evil. sense. It doesn't make It's evil. Yeah. And I, I think that's a nail on the head. It's evil. And, and, you know, life is full of tests. And yeah. I think we get tested in different ways, especially when we have faith and, um, you know, that thing, I'm just so grateful to our Heavenly Father for protecting me, for protecting my family. It was really hard on my family, too. Um, But in the end, you know, it was all I can look back at it and see his divine intervention all along the way. There were so many times when I would go into work and I'd be sad and I'd be taking the steps, you know, up or down, you know, in the hallway and people would stop me in the stairwell because there's nobody there, you know, but you and the other person. And they would say, Paula, I'm praying for you. Mm-hmm. Paula, I don't like what they're doing to you. You have my support. You know, we're, you know, the people who are praying for me, oh, they're they're the, you know, they're the angels too. Cause it was just phenomenal. Well, you I'll know, say, Paula, you are a strong woman. You are a woman to be reckoned with. And, you know, think of what you've done. Think of how you helped those doctors and the lives you may have saved. I mean, you, yeah, if there was an angel, there was an angel on your shoulder the whole time, you know, trying to show you the way. And I can't say enough about you and how brave you are for sticking it out. And, you know, I'm, also, for people with disabilities, and you know, I, I never like to talk about my disability. I think one of the worst things that someone can do to a person with a disability like me and you, we work hard our entire lives to overcome, not overcome, but not be judged on our disability. And when they bully you and do this to you, you become an object of pity and it's the worst thing to you. It's something your whole fiber, every being part of your being is like, I don't want to be this object of pity or this, you know, stopping you in the hallway and saying, Oh, poor Paula or poor Paula, what a, you know, pain in the ass she is. You know, we don't want to be that. We want to be the strong person. We made it because we work hard and we're tough. Right. But they do that to us. They flip it. And yeah. it's that's the worst thing. Yeah. They have lost their way, really. I mean, you know, 
God tests us and he wants to see how we'll do. And through it, we grow, we learn. I, I can honestly say, you know, it was God's grace that has me here with you today, Gloria. I I took notes um, all along my journey and that's how I was able to write the book. The book is called A Sacred Duty, How a Whistleblower Took on the VA and Won by Paula Padine with Doug Williams. Please buy it. You won't be sorry. It's just great. I will include links to the book on my website, GloriaMoraga.com, and I will have links to the stories we've talked about, including that veteran scandal. I've also produced a short video, and I've edited this podcast down in a video, and I'll include the link to those two videos on my website. I'm Gloria Moraga, one-on-one. Please share and subscribe. And more than anything, right now, talk to each other one-on-one. And yes, my friends, it is important to talk about everything. Politics, work, love, anger. So many of us are angry now. So many of us are depressed. And you know, depression is anger turned inward. I think we all know that, but I had to say it anyway. We need to talk about it. I've got some great interviews coming up. One is with Mal Hyman. He's a political science professor. We've talked before. We talked about this election year and the importance of this election year and a great new documentary from Oliver Stone called JFK Revisited. That's coming up soon. So stay tuned, stay safe, and buy Paula's book.
Ooh, that was tough. 